Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. And I want to share a message with you that uh, anytime I preach, I prayed about it. It doesn't mean it's, you know, just uh, the Holy Grail, but I prayed about it. And I got to have some fire from God to get behind the pulpit. You know, I'm not an intellectual. Uh, I mean, I do read, amen. I did graduate and went a little bit to college, but uh, I've got to know God sent me something. And, uh, you know, I get on pins and needles, you know, over the years as a pastor if I didn't have what God wanted me to preach. And so uh, you can rest assured that uh, ever how this comes out, that it's been prayed about. And uh, God has a way of getting his message out. Isn't that wonderful? And I don't know about you, but I've been saved for a long time and uh, uh, had to get some uh, assurance along the way at different times. But uh, God speaks to me. Sometimes I don't really hear like I'd like to hear. Sometimes I don't really hear when I'd like to hear. Uh, But God speaks to my heart. And that's important, and you need to learn to cultivate that. So uh, chapter 2, look down and find, if you would, verse 11. And I'll read uh, several verses here, and then we'll pray, and I'll share what God put on my heart. This is, of course, Nehemiah speaking. He said, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I rose in the night and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem, Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Verse 13, And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates wherever were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass." Verse 15, Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. And verse 17, Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire, come, Let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are truly thankful to be alive, to be saved, and to be able to be in church here today. I thank you for this church. I thank you for its pastor and for all the workers here. And and God, I just pray that you would help us today. We need to hear from heaven, not from a man, but from heaven And I pray, Heavenly Father, that, Lord, you would speak through me for the next little bit. I don't deserve to be here, don't deserve to be saved, but, God, this is how you work. You speak through men in the preaching. So I pray that, God, you would just do what you want to do here this morning. And, God, speak to hearts. Help somebody here today that is not saved, and uh, maybe they're on the fence. Maybe somebody's not sure. I pray you'd speak to all the hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage and think about it, and as I want to just kind of take just a little bit and think about the day that we live in today, I am concerned, as you're concerned about the day that we live in, what's going on here in America. You've got so many things that are hidden at one time. Some of these things didn't start yesterday, by the way. They've been working on a long time, and that will come out a little bit here in the message. But I'm thinking about, uh, you know, America's foundation being, you know, crumbling, falling apart, I'm thinking about our Constitution. I'm thinking about the preamble to the Constitution. 
Um, I'm thinking about what the nation was built upon and our institutions here in America, one nation under God, uh, certain inalienable rights. And I, this is not political by any means. I'm just trying to share with you and some of you kids here that didn't come up in the 60s when I came up as a little kid in school and we held our hand across our chest and we said the pledge to, uh, to America as we listened to the national anthem. And, you know, I'm not a goosebump guy, but goosebumps would go up and down my shaved neck from the uh, crew cut haircut that I had. And uh, to understand that things are different now. And I think about crumbling institution of marriage, and I think about the home, and I think about uh, the church, as I mentioned this morning, that uh, church today, or the church, has become like Baskin-Robbins with all the flavors. Find the one that fits you instead of you fitting God. And even hope. So many people are in despair. So many people turn to drugs. So many people turn to alcohol. So many people turn to immorality. They don't care about their body. They don't. So many people turn to suicide. And as you hear about it quite often, and how horrible among a young person, and even in ministry families today, these crumbling foundations. And then you add to it the effects of sowing and reaping. You add to it national judgment. And I don't know about you, I'm not a rocket scientist, but if you don't realize and that, that we're under the uh, national judgment now as a nation, uh, I don't think that, uh, uh, I don't want to get smart mouth, but I don't think you're on the planet as a Christian. That we are under national judgment. These things will parallel in here. And then the acceleration of end time markers. If people call me and ask questions, well, what about this and that? And I said, well, you know, I mean, we're, hey, we're, you know, we're at the doorstep. And who knows how far the door is. And, but we're there. And they, hey, listen, there, it's happening. And then the, this COVID-19 business is, it just kind of dis, disrupts. Uh, a guy asked me after service this morning, he says, uh, I used to hand out tracts and witness, what do I do? And I said, well... I said, you need to be prudent. You need to be led of the Lord. I said, you know, I have funeral marriages and stuff like that I do. And, I, you know, you, you got to be prudent, but you can't just social distance and everything. And I said, hey, why don't you do like what we do, my grandkids do, put tracks in conspicuous places in grocery stores and different places and get the message out. People also get saved that way. So with this all put into the mix, not just to be negative, but to get to a realistic position of where we live today and how you think about it and what's going on and what God thinks about it, I'm beginning to feel like the passage that I just read. I'm beginning to feel like I live in Nehemiah's description of Jerusalem. The Bible says in chapter 1 and verse 4 that he was heartbroken. The Bible says when he heard this news before he even got to the city that, that, that he sat down and he, he, he wept and he mourned certain days and he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. I think you'll find more similarities in our situation here in America to Jerusalem at this time than you will differences. And I think we can look at it and glean some things this morning that will be a blessing and I, aren't you glad about God? He don't change, amen? I mean, what he said 2,500 years ago, what he sent the preacher to do, it works today. So 2,500 years ago, then to now, but the answer is the same. Verse 17, let us rise up and build the wall. Now the interesting thing is they already had a wall. Like America. 
And now it's just a pile of rubble. The wall stood for about 400 years when King David made it his headquarters. And I think about America, our country, and I try to do the calculation. It's not hard to go from 1776 to where we live today, about 244 years. But I think our wall, this is my opinion, as I said this morning in the morning service, my opinion is the walls have fallen. And they fell in 62 and 63. Some of you younger folks may get tired of hearing that. I was a kid in 62 and 63. I didn't, wasn't aware it was happening. The only thing I remember about 62 and 63, about the nation, the big thing I remember is Kennedy was assassinated. Coming home from school and my mom was sitting there in the living room crying. So the rest of these years, as far as I'm concerned, we've been living on mercy. Because the walls have crumbled. Now, I hate to be so dire, but amen? But if I'm fixing to cross the bridge and out in the middle of the bridge, the superstructure over the deepest part of the river and ravine is out, I want somebody to tell me about it. Amen? So I want to go back 2,500 years, if you will, with me. And I want you to stand there in the streets of Jerusalem. Put yourself there from just what we've read, and I'm sure you've read more about it. The judgment of God came upon Jerusalem. They had chance after chance after chance. The northern kingdom was an example, should have been an example. God means what He says. And so let's go back 2,500 years and just walk up and down the streets of Jerusalem like Nehemiah did and some of his close friends that he brought with him to the city and notice some things. Now I'd say first off by reading this and by looking at our country and trying to draw a parallel here that just about everything that was important was broken. Back in that period of time, walls were important. If somebody wanted what you had, they came and got it. And if, they had a, if you had a strong city, if they had stronger men and ways to get inside there, it didn't matter how long it took, they'd lay siege to it, and, and they would get in there to get what you had. So just about everything that was important was broken. The walls were down. The gates were burned with fire. I mean, when, when Nebuchadnezzar's people left that city, he didn't want anything left they could do anything with. And he wanted, and this is what happened, he wanted a regression, a regression in their society. That's what they got. And that's what we're looking at today in America. Now, I'm not going to focus on a national message, but I, I, I need to bring this into it to get to the, to the point, which is the very end of it. So just about everything was broken. Uh, everything was important broken. They needed revival. We need revival. And I don't mean just by the term of revival, four days or seven days of where we, where we go through the motions of everything and God stirs our heart and, and, and uh, uh, you know, two weeks later, everything's back like it was. We need what happened here in, in Jerusalem to happen in America. So we see here real quickly, I want to bring emphasis to uh, the 70 years, uh, give or take, there was two generations that had been raised up in this distress. Dads, look at me. Two generations 
two generations had been raised up in this distress. That was their normal. That was where they lived. And that was how they developed. Two generations in this distress. Evil getting a free pass. Brother Jeremiah mentioned the other day about something I mentioned in preaching 20-something years ago. And it was basically things that happened in school that kids got in trouble about. Basically, you know, stuff like talking. And this would, this would really just shock you kids. You couldn't chew gum in school. You couldn't have a soda in school. Hey, listen, it was yes sir and no sir. I mean, you went in the bathroom. I mean, you, you, just all kind of things like that. And now today, all of the garbage and the evil that you got. So evil was getting a free pass here. There was no proper reference to a godly home in these two generations. It just went south completely. And I'll tell you this, you, like me, without discipline, will sink to the level of what we can get by with. One thing I noticed in the camp ministry over the years, as the preachers would come, I remember Brother Heath's dad, Brother Al, he would come with Baton Rouge group. And I, and I watched these guys. And, you know, they'd get up early to get away from the kids. There was counseling in the cabins and stuff like that. And here would be these guys. Brother, I remember particularly, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And uh, uh, like some of these guys that are just really great, can sing and preach and all this other stuff. And to be sitting there alone with a little quiet reading his Bible. He knew if he didn't stay in his Bible, like we know if we don't stay in our Bible, we're going to sink. So we see this, what was going on here. These two generations and no proper reference of a godly home. And, and forgive me for using such strong terminology. It created a Frankenstein monster like homes today because they find a happy medium. And I said this morning, a happy medium is halfway between this and halfway between that. And I want to tell you, in the eyes of God, halfway between God and halfway between nowhere is still nowhere. If you want, if you want what God wants for you, if you want to have real joy and real happiness and prosperity and leave someone behind in your home for the next generation, if there is a next generation. So just about everything was broken that was important. And again, I believe the mindset was the happy medium, it is what it is. You know, I don't like to get picked on. How about y'all? You like to get picked on? I don't like to get picked on. I don't like somebody telling me what to do either. But God helped me with wisdom to say, you know what? There's a lot of people that know more than what you know. And we can listen and learn. And then the pride thing and all this other stuff going on. So, just about everything that was important in the city of Jerusalem, as we walk up and down the streets, we look and this is broken, this is busted, this is busted, the walls down, all that's there left of what God had done was on the ground in pieces. I think that's a fair representation of America. I love America. When the Gulf War broke out in, what was it, 89 or something like that? I mean, uh, I wasn't even a preacher. And I was doing some, a big job up in Jackson. It crossed my mind to enlist. I mean, it just stirred me up that much what was going over on over there in the Middle East. 
and our boys over there and what they were trying to do to us. So I'm saying we're identifying here the situation and what things look like. I was thinking about Gideon as I was praying about this message that here this, here this man that became a great man of God the similar situation today, he was over there hiding basically behind the barn, threshing out wheat to feed his family. Because of the oppression of the enemy. We think about in America today all the things that we can't do because of the oppression of the, of the enemy. Right is wrong and wrong is right. That's no news. That phrase is coined all the time. It comes out of the Bible. Everything that was important was broken. But God sends the angel to Gideon. And he says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And he says, If God's with us, why is all this stuff befalling us? And that's the issue before us here today with the wondering what's going on? When's it going to end? Or is this just the beginning? Now, here in America, Here's the parallel. In my opinion, we've raised two generations since the walls in America fell in 1962 and 1963 with prayer in the Bible being removed from public schools, which eventually bowled over into the public forum. Thank God for the folks that, you know, they, uh, they do what they do and they serve the Lord and, and, and they, they're a Christian wherever they go. But all somebody has to do today is, is, is file a lawsuit, you know. And the county that we live in, they didn't have to even file a lawsuit. Somebody sent a letter. Some of y'all probably heard of these letters that went out a couple years ago to all the school boards, probably not just in Mississippi, but all across the country, I would imagine, says, if you allow prayer in the Bible in your school, we are going to sue you. Our county didn't even fight. They just made it part of their policy that, that, they, that, they would, that they would not do that. So we've raised up two generations since America's walls came down in 62 and 63. Okay, we've took a little walk through Jerusalem. We've took a little walk through America. We've looked at things that are real. It's not just a guy behind the pulpit popping off at the mouth. You take the Bible and you look at it and you see the similarities. So we see the situation that we're in. Now Nehemiah's counsel. Amen? I mentioned this this morning. Isn't counsel good? Amen? I mean, it's good if you'll listen to it. And God's counsel always makes sense. And God's counsel always comes with a burning in the heart to the child of God. Isn't that wonderful? Nehemiah's counsel. Then said I unto them, he says, You see the distress that we're in and how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall. Now this is the same counsel that was given to Gideon. When the angel came down and appeared to him, here this man was, not living as a Christian should live, raising his family, living under the oppression of the enemy. And he says, thou mighty man of valor. And then he goes on to tell him, pull down the pagan altar. Some of you probably wonder, what in the world is that guy talking about? Everything in our life that's against God. And here's the easy way to do it. Draw you a line down the middle in your life. And you put what God's for. And put everything else in another category. 
and forget about the happy medium. And this was Nehemiah's counsel. Let's build up the wall. Tear down the pagan altar and build the altar of God. Now some of you are probably kind of thinking, what in the world has this got to do with the wall? Right? Like these walls behind us. They're fake. But, you know, I mean, they look good. A wall is real important if something wants to get you and you don't want to be God. Right? Hey, man, I want to tell you, when I was a kid and got my own bedroom, I looked under the bed. And there was many times I looked under the bed several times <laughs> before I got groggy enough to go to sleep. And I wouldn't have admitted it back then, but, you know, the closet, my wife and I, we go somewhere and we come back. You know, we live out in the sticks and, and uh, we get back in the house. It's about bedtime. I said, said uh, did you check the house? I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked under the bed too in the kids bedroom to make sure there's nothing under there a wall is important and these walls here were more spiritual than physical except the Lord build the house they labor in vain that build it except the Lord keep the city the watchman waketh but in vain So the walls, God builds the walls by our desire to honor and obey Him. You know, sometimes we just need to read some scriptures that tells us that know you not that you're not your own, that you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit. Amen? I'm so glad I'm not going to hell. How about you? I bet you could step out and do a jig. I mean, we don't want to upset the order of the church, but hey, hey, listen. Uh, I look like a stick in the mud, but my heart, I'm glad I'm saved. And I'm glad I can take the Bible and prove it. Amen? My granddaughter came to me the other day, Brother Matthews, and said, Pop, says, you don't feel saved. I looked at her and I said, you know, sometimes I don't feel saved either. <laughs> but I go back to the record. And I realize the devil's just in the world is just trying to mess with me and trip me up. So we see the walls here that, that they were down. They, what God had done, God's protections, God's blessing, the new covenant that came forward uh, that, he, that he gave to us, that they were down. And, God, and Nehemiah says, let's build the walls. And then he quotes... Uh, Moses in Nehemiah 1 in, in verse 8 and 9, I'll read those. In his prayer, you know when you pray, you can quote Scripture? I mean, God knows it, right? And it's not for God's benefit to quote Scripture because it's His book, right? So we're not trying to be smarty pants, but we're, we're, we're our prayer, the validity of our prayer in our heart. God, you said this. And God, you know my heart. He knows where we're at. Is it flim-flam? Is it appearance? Is it goody-goody? He knows whether it's real. This guy was broken-hearted about his country. 
And he says, The word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. Okay, here's America. Here's national judgment. We're not, the, we're not Jews by birth, but we're adopted in the household of God. Amen? You forgive me for getting excited, but, you know, my wife gets tired of this stuff at the house when I pop up and say something. But, hey, I am somebody in Christ. Amen? I'm nobody in myself, but I'm somebody in Christ. And then he says, but if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though they were of you cast out to the uttermost parts of the earth, of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. You find something to match that. You've messed up. You've taken God for granted. You let things go by the wayside. It's all grown up in weeds. And I come in here and I pull back the hedge and knock down the walls and bring affliction into your nation. And now you're an embarrassment to the name of God. But he did that because he's just. And he did that because he's merciful. And he he did that because he wants us to get it right. Isn't it wonderful? After a while, you've got to look around and say, man, what's happening here? Right? Don't change your value system because America has. So a miracle God promised and a miracle they got. Now, national revival. My opinion, I don't see it happening. <clears throat> but you know what? God has outdone my thoughts before. It could happen. <clears throat> I preached years and years ago as a younger preacher, and I said, you know, to try to get this Bible and get the fit for it for the future, you know, America's got to be busted. And we're on the road to bankruptcy. I'm talking about that kind of busted. You mess with somebody's money, son, <laughs> you mess with their life, right? You heard Jeremiah talk about cutting pulpwood one time, or I did here one time, and, and I was there right beside him. Three preachers. We'd cut a load for each preacher. Some of you guys could probably use that. I mean, you wouldn't have to go to the gym, amen? <laughs> you pick up a piece of pulpwood. I had a guy show me how to do it, and when I was a kid, I was 17, and he says, you get, I mean, I mean a piece of pulpwood this big around. And you walk over that thing, it says you get under it and get your fingers down there underneath the bottom of it and let it lean back on your shoulders. Then you just stand up. And I watched this big old hawk of a man pick that thing up and walked over there. And then he threw it up on the pulpwood truck. <laughs> Didn't need a wedge. So we did that. Has a way of humbling you. But you know what? We needed to eat. We didn't have a lot of bills, but we needed to pay a light bill and You say, well, God didn't take care of you. Oh, he took care of us good. And I needed that pulpit experience. Amen? So national revival, I believe, is possible, but not likely. You know why? It would take national repentance. What do you think it would take to get America on her knees? 
What do you think it takes Christians to really get down on your knees and beg God for something, lay aside all the malice that may be in your heart? I don't know about you, one of the biggest jobs I have is keeping garbage out. And then when it pops up, you know, the, 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 the useful application, get thee behind me, Satan. But he don't give up easy. And then everything you're flashed with across the nation, amen? So we see here, everything in this city was broken that was important. We look in America and we try to find something to, to where here it is, we can build on this. And we're discouraged. And we don't know what's happening. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to think. And we see Nehemiah's counsel here. And he says, let's build up the walls. Let's build up the walls. Psalms 33, 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. God is bound by the fact that he cannot lie to honor this book. I've dealt with a lot of crooked people in my life. The first church that God moved me to uh, from a youth pastor in my home church, one of, the, one of the local preachers, he says, they'll grind you up and spit you out. I didn't say nothing to him. I just smiled and I went home and I told my wife, I said, boy, that wasn't one of them thank you moments. <laughs> we kind of understand what's in the heart of man, but hey, man, first church, you know, and out in the country in the sticks and, you know, nothing going on and then some things begin to happen. But God is bound to honor this book. But he's bound at some point to make some corrections when he is dishonored over and over and over. Okay? So now we got that off the table, right? National repentance. It can happen. We certainly need to pray for it. So I get down to the message that what I'm excited about that God put on my heart, and we had to get through there to get here. So we see Jerusalem. We can imagine what's going on. We look outside our streets. We look across America. We see all that's happening and what's not happening. So the message is here from Nehemiah. And if you read the whole book, you'll find out all the people that came out. Everybody except one family had a place in the wall. Wow! Isn't it amazing? Every family in Jerusalem, except one group, had a place in the wall. It was hard work. It was dirty work. It was sweaty work. Who likes sweat? Ugh. Man, I walk in the house from whatever I'm doing, and, and I, don't, I got enough stuff to last me a hundred years. That was Methuselah. I wouldn't run out. And I come in and, and man, I just noticed, you know, about 9 o'clock, 9.30. Man, who is that? <laughs> He's the guy in your shirt, man, that stinks. Put yourself rebuilding those walls. Now, they physically, yes, but in their homes. And they had preaching and they had teaching. And they had people that wanted to kill them and people that wanted to stop them. Because they didn't want the holy city rebuilt. 
So Nehemiah says, let's build these walls. Now remember, it would have been in vain if it wasn't for God. Honoring God, God's way in the home, in the family. So here's my message. What do we need? What's the order for the day? What do we do? What do we think? We need home revival. I don't think a preacher should apologize for what he preaches. But I will categorize this because I have a lackluster expression. And I don't have any charisma. I'm sorry. I can't change a tire and saw two before. I mean no malice by this. But if you're sitting out there and it hits you, praise God. Men of the home need to be the Bible men of the home. And I want to tell you, that's blood, that's sweat, and that's tears. That's begging God. That's praying to God. That's watching the home and the family and watching your kids and seeing what needs to be done and look at something that's going on and find out where this will be a year down the road. Because it always starts somewhere. I thought I knew everything when I started preaching. Well, not everything. I know this is going to sound dumb, but I'm just giving the illustration of arrogance. Brother, I thought I'd preach through the Bible in a year. Okay, does that say it all? Lester Roloff, God bless these older guys, said, I don't know when I'll learn the Bible. The more I pick it, the whiter it gets. Amen? Home revival is the message that he brought to Jerusalem because it's the homes that got broken down that where God took his hand off of that city and brought the other walls down that allowed the enemy to come in to chastise his people. See, he loves us enough for that. Joshua 24, 15, Joshua said, As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. He said, Choose. You know what that means? We got a choice. Men, we got a choice. Wives, you got a job at home. Your first consideration behind this is just extra. I'm sorry. It wasn't in the first message, but hey, this may be my last shot at it. Behind God, your husband ought to be your priority. And behind your husband ought to be your children. Lord, I wasn't planning on this, but I'm not going to refuse God. The wife is to keep the home. Now, you figure out what that means to you. I know what that means to me, amen? We're different. We're all different, and God uses all. Amen? I don't understand how all that works, but <laughs> I got to, hey, I got to agree with my Bible, and I got to look at me in my home. Somebody needs to be on guard. Hey. 
I'll save the rest of that for another time if I get to come back. Amen. So just put a <laughs> kind of asterisk there or parentheses. Home revival is the message, folks. Joshua said, as for me and my house. What are you going to do when it gets to every man for himself? What are you going to do when money fails? You have read the Bible, right? The Egyptians sold everything they had to feed their family and then sold themselves to stay alive. That can't happen in America. Okay. Noah. I'm talking about the home. Noah moved with fear when he got the word from God. We got the Bible. And it's full of the same thing from cover to cover. And he heard from God and God said, Hey, I've looked down and everything that I see is wicked. I want you to build a boat, an ark, an amazing piece of construction in primitive times. But the Bible says, that Noah moved with fear, prepared, prepared an ark for the saving of his house. <laughs> Amen. It's your home. Middle in the road, middle of the road won't get it today. Yes, you'll exist, and yes, by the mercy of God, and, and I don't know what the future holds, and I'm not trying to lamb blast anybody, but I'm just saying the message to the church today ought to be this home revival. And as for me and my house, I'm not perfect. I don't do everything right. But bless God, I'm going to ask God to show me through his book. And I'm going to order my home from top to bottom. What would you do to ensure your child, or your grandchild, or for me, I don't think we're going to have any more grandchildren, but you never know. Amen. I'd like to have five more kids of my own. Yeah, I'm crazy. And uh, I miss my kids. A lot of people talk about this grandparent business. Well, I'm with you there, but hey, listen, I enjoyed my kids. And I miss them. I wish Jeremiah was a little boy again, <laughs> Brother Monroe. <laughs> That'd be fun. What would you do to ensure that your child, your grandchild, maybe your unborn great-grandchild that you'll never meet, get on that boat? What would you do? What kind of wall would you build around your home? What kind of relationship would you want with God? I don't think there's anybody in here my age that doesn't look back and say, you know... I wish I'd focus more here, focus there, focus there, focus there. You folks that still got kids at home, glean. Glean. And you folks my age, take the cork out of your mouth. I'm not saying to be a a backseat driver or a know-it-all, but God, all this stuff that God says for us to do and to pass on, certainly there's a kind, godly way to do it where we won't alienate our own family, right? But I'm saying this home revival. Home revival. 
ensure that your family gets on the boat. Let me give you something real quick here before I stop. You know, God don't tell you to do something and then don't tell you how to do it, right? Being a builder from even a kid, it just, I got the builder in me. And, you know, some of you guys that build and stuff like that, we can, we can look at stuff that's crooked and say, hey, man, that's, you, know, you know, we got an eye for level. I mean, some people don't have that kind of, all this kind of stuff. I just love to have been around Noah and just ask him, what did God tell you today to know about that boat? How big a beam did, did God tell you to put over here in the bottom in the keel? How thick of boards do you need on the floor? You know, you got all those animals coming in here to see all that. So here it is. Two places in Hebrews, this is written very similar. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, God says, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. With salvation, today comes the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. Quench not the Spirit. But God promises here that He will put His, His Word the way He wants us to live. You ever get uncomfortable in our hearts? You ever get uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Just kind of antsy, you know? I mean, sometimes when I go to preach somewhere, I'm sitting there, you know, just, you know, just you know, kind of, you know, like this. Your heart ever gets stirred the wrong way? I don't know about you, but my wife sometimes, she's just mean. And I'm thinking, what happened? <laughs> no, that was just to get your attention, to show you, hey, God deals with us. He speaks to us. He guides us. And this book, spiritually, he places the, 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 the heart of the Bible uh, inside of us as we read it, as we go through life, and then we practice it, and God blesses us. So God's told us what to do. All the things that Solomon got into, oh gosh, man, he, he got into stuff that somebody today couldn't live, you know, unless you were a, a, a multi-billionaire and lived to be a thousand years old to get into all the stuff that he got into. He tried everything. And at the end of it, you know what he said? Fear God. And keep the commandments. It's the whole duty of man. Now, that's not hard in principle. There's a lot of details, but here I'm showing to you. How do we do this? God made it possible. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them in my hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. I'll build the wall. You be my people, and I'll build the wall. You be my people, and I'll build the wall. You be my people, and I'll build the wall. That's the promise of God. And we can say, God's not doing that at my house. I don't want to be smart, but tell God when you get there that he messed up. No, thank you, preacher. Me neither, amen? So home revival, I believe, is the message here and the message for us today and what's happening going on. Amen? We don't have to look for... Hey, let it's not vacation time. It's not time to, uh, for whatever else out there to pursue. It's time. God, teach me, show me, try me, prove me that I can have revival in my heart, that I can be the dad, that I can be the mom. 
And you kids out there, that you can be the kid, amen? It ain't about appearance. It's about reality. And then in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, Paul said this. He said, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So we got the information, right? Nehemiah delivered the message. He said, guys, look around at this garbage you're living in. You don't look like the people of God. God would, be, God would be embarrassed to invite you to a meeting. They're a reproach. I can't change Washington. I don't want to go back to Washington. I can't change America. I can't even change the town I live in. But I'm the head of my house. And I can take this book and what God puts in my heart and I can go, I don't have to go to the bathroom to get to a mirror. We got a couple of them downstairs. And I can look in the mirror and I can look at Jack Andrews and I can take that book that God said he put in my heart and I can judge myself. And I can say, what is wrong with me? And God says, there it is in that book. I can't tell you how many times I've walked out of this building. And the short time we've been here. And some of that dross had come to the top through the preaching. And I wasn't the happiest guy in the world inside my heart. You know what God was doing? He was showing me something. I need to look in the mirror when I get home and judge myself. And then my home won't be judged. And we get to choose. Amen? Amen. Finally. Finish where I started at. All this wondering. You know, we're wondering, right? Questions. You got questions? I got questions. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't guarantee anything. But I can see what the Bible teaches. Okay, but we still got that wondering thing going on, right? Am I going to lose my job next week? Am I going to be able to make, uh, make my house note, you know, six months from now? What if all this gets worse? I mean, you know, what if something gets burned down in Hattiesburg? I mean, what's going to happen? Are we become a, a police state? Isn't that stuff wild? Not as wild as it used to be. So... The homework of building the wall, we wonder what's going on. And boy, this is, I love saying this. I'm going to close my Bible. All this is going on and all that we need to do and all that God shows us. And the time we live in right now, why is it so important? The king is coming. I'm not trying to raise a goosebump up and down your neck, but buddy, I'm going to tell you, I can't always say that without coming to tears. The king is coming. This has got to come to an end one day. And as Abraham Lincoln said, we're the ones from the inside. 
is the only ones that could destroy America. What a wise man to live so long ago. He's rarely quoted except by a handful of preachers. The king is coming. Could you imagine being in Jerusalem? Well, when Jesus came out, the last week, and they throwed palm fronds and garments in his path for him to walk on. But it's all because the king is coming. And we're to prepare the way of the king. We're to purge our hearts. Can I be gross for a minute? I'll, I'll, I'll try to finish as quick as I can. Can I be gross for a minute? This is the grossest generation we've ever lived in, right? Anybody out here my age that remembers matters? <laughs> you wake up of a morning. Look over to your wife. Good morning. And she turns her head. Good morning. <laughs> That's a polite description compared to the way the Bible describes man's heart. Open sepulcher. We're not in heaven yet. We still live in this. So God's plan, and I believe this is the message for today, is home revival. Home revival. Right in the middle of the teaching of the home, Jesus says that I might cleanse them by the washing of the water of the word. I'm going to quit. I'm sorry. Not for the preaching, but just for taking so long. Can you feel it when God does that? Like that paper when you was a kid in grade school and you used that big fat pencil. And you had to be careful with that eraser because you'd tear the paper. And so you start out real easy with the eraser because you don't want to tear it and you want to make it look like you didn't make a mistake and you erase it. That's what God's Word does. Because the King is coming. The King is coming. And I could just keep repeating that. That is the motivation. God saved us. He wants to clean us. He wants to wash us. And so you may be able to say like me, let's quit wasting time. Let's quit wasting time. Let's, let, let's don't hinder the word. Husbands, talk to your wives. I don't know what goes on in your home. I ain't accusing you of nothing. I know what goes on in mine, amen? I could just sit back and do nothing. And my wife would do everything. king is coming get ready for the king isn't it a little bit scary we're going to meet him in the air <clears throat> so shall we ever be with the Lord let's pray dear Lord